Well, good morning, Orangewood. Certainly a privilege and an honor to be back home. Um, it's, uh, I, I said in the earlier service, I said, um, uh, they don't like me enough to have me back but once a year, so I better take advantage of it while I'm here. Uh, but coming to Orangewood is like coming home. Jeff is my brother. He's my, my pastor, my confidant, and I love him dearly. So would you clap your hands for Jeff and Katie as they're just enjoying themselves and... Um, he texted me yesterday while he was over there in Turkey and, and just enjoying himself. So he is a great leader in the city, and so I'm glad he's able to have this sabbatical and you all afford him uh, that opportunity. And I also want to thank you all for praying for me. Um, about a month and a half, two months ago, uh, I, I contacted Jeff and many other people to pray for me. I, I had a health scare um, end up going to the hospital because my white blood cell count was higher than what they needed to be. And so bone marrow biopsy revealed that I had been diagnosed with a form of leukemia. Um, well, I take a little pill every morning, a little chemo pill every morning. Uh, and, but by God's grace, my numbers are back down to where they need to be. So thank God for your prayers. Amen. Glad to be seen and not viewed. Bless the Lord. Y'all will catch that somewhere on Maitland Boulevard later on the day. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity. Let the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O oh Lord, my strength and my redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Today I want to talk about engaging our culture. Very important topic. The Lord... Um, has challenged me uh, with this message, challenged me uh, personally, challenged, challenged me as a, a pastor and a leader, as a parent, um, uh, just, just overall been challenged with the, um, the meat of this message. And today, I must warn you that this message will make some of us uncomfortable, but it will challenge us nonetheless. And I believe it is a message that we in the body of Christ need to hear uh, because there's so much going on in our culture, so much going on in our world, uh, so much going on in the political spectrum, spiritually, amongst churches and denominations. There seems to be this a move towards reinterpreting scripture. Um, there, there's so much going on that causes us to have our conversations at home and in our cars and at work and text messages and all of that. But what is the word of the Lord and the message to the church in the midst of all of this? And so our foundational verses of scripture will be found in Matthew 13, 24 through 30. And in the 36 through the 39th verse, and I will make reference to a number of other verses in scripture for our lesson on today. Matthew 13, 24 through 30 reads, he put another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? And he said to them, an enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, no, lest in gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in the bundles to be burned. But gather the wheat into my barn. 36 through 39 says, then he left the crowds and went into the house. And his disciples came to him saying, explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. And he answered, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. 
and the weeds are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil. But the harvest is the end of the age and the reapers are the angels. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word. Engaging our culture. When Jesus explained this parable, he said that the field is the world. And believers are the good seed that he has planted. We are the good seed that the Lord has planted in the world. Every believer, every person who has placed their faith in Christ, you're the wheat and you're the good seed. And I want us, for the sake of this message, to look at being in this auditorium as a great big So It's amazing that we're in a gymnasium, but I want you to look at this, me- this message or look at you being in here as being in a locker room, and re- which really is what it is every week that we gather. This is the locker room. This is where we get pepped up. See, I played football. I played basketball. When we get in the locker room, we pep each other up. We, 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 we encourage one another. We high-fiving. We, 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 we're, you know, building the other person up. If it's football, we're ready to go kill somebody. Let's go kill them. Let's go get them. You know, let's hit them hard, you know. Um, if it's basketball, you know, we want to play good defense. We want to play hard. Let's stick it to them. Let's do good. That's what we get in the locker room. What else we get in the locker room? We hear instructions from the coach, from the leader. But guess what? Can't stay in the locker room. The locker room is about giving you information and preparing you to play on the field or on the court. Quite often, I find that in the body of Christ that um, we become checkmark Christians. Um, Sunday is the first day of the week. Uh, I went to church. Check. Okay, I went to church. That's it. Done my little church deal. Done my little duty as a Christian. Um, That's it. Hey, time to go home, watch TV, watch the World Cup, watch football, watch basketball, because, you know, I did my little church duty for the week. But the reality of it is, this is not the playing field when you come to worship. This is the locker room. God wants to prepare us and build us up amongst one another in here so that when we go out there, We're ready to play. And I want to talk about engaging our culture. This parable reveals something important about the kingdom of God. Wheat, believers, weeds, unbelievers. And the disciples asked, you know, do you want us to gather and gather the the weeds up and basically burn them, get rid of them? No, Jesus said, "Mm, let them grow together. I'll separate the wheat from the weeds in the end. Don't you try to do it. Um, So in other words, we are not supposed to be what I call wheat regulators. By trying to live apart from or get rid of them other people. And the them other people are those unbelievers, those unsaved. And so quite often we find ourselves siloed and separated from the people who need us the most. Here's the thing. Uh, Darkness is not the opposite of light. It is the absence of light. And if we are the light of the world, and if we are the salt of the earth, we are called to go in dark places. We are called to minister to the people who have not heard the gospel. We're called to minister to people who are not living this gospel-centered life. We're called to engage people, and sometimes it is engaging people that makes us uncomfortable. This is going to be a challenging message because we are living in a culture and a time, it seems that we're getting further and further and further away from Christ-centered ethics and Christian living, you know, I, I, I don't think we can say any longer that this is a Christian nation. 
Many theologians have come to the place and said we're in a post-Christian America, post-Christian society. It is very diverse and so much is going on. But the reality of it is the solace that I get, the peace that I get and what I see in the political spectrum and all the craziness that's going on in Washington and all the laws that are coming out. The solace I get is that God rules in the kingdom of men. He is still in control. He never lost control and everything is on time and it's, it is working together for his and our good nonetheless. So I don't have to be tripping about what's going on and what laws is being passed and all this kind of stuff when I know God is in control. So if I know God is in control and I'm part of his kingdom, then what is my posture in all of this? Hmm. In the end, God knows who, who are his. Second Timothy 2 and 19 says, we've been sealed and the Lord knows those that are his. I don't have to try to pick out who is his or is, isn't his. My job is to be a farmer. What do, what, do, what do farmers do? They plant and they water. Farmers can't make nothing grow. Farmers cannot make sure the sunshine is shining for a photosynthesis to happen. Science can't do that. Science can't. Only thing they can do is prepare the toil, plant, uh, 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 prepare the ground rather, and plant and water. But God gives the increase. Same thing it is with the gospel. My job is to plant. The job is to water. Keep engaging. Keep talking to people. I call it the ministry of presence. Just be present with people and let God give the increase. So my job is just to engage. Our job is to engage. But today's trend among believers, the church universal, the church in America, the church globally, as it were, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a term, a word, two words, Phariseeistic attitudinalism. Well, you say, well, that ain't a word. I'm preaching. I get to make up whatever words I want to make up. <laughs> Let me just tell you what Phariseeistic attitudinalism is. It is a, a feeling of, uh, uh, it is people or religious people who Always accuse and condemn. We're always pointing the finger. Accuse, condemn. There's a feeling that we're better than them. How dare they? Let's get rid of them. That's Phariseeistic attitudinalism. Feeling that um, better than those other people. I'm saved. The Lord has delivered me. He set me free. And how they're not those sinners. We're living in a culture that people need us to engage. More and more people are choosing not to come to church today in our culture. Because Christians, the church, we become so judgmental. There's a group, there's a rising group called the nuns, N-O-N-E-S. Meaning, you know, they, they feel like they're spiritual, but... Um, I'm part of, I'm not part of no church, not part of no denomination, but I love Jesus. Now, I, I believe in the local church. I believe in the church. I believe that the church of Jesus Christ has been placed on, placed on the earth to be the governmental order and structure um, and the, the, the representative of heaven on the earth. I believe that. But what should be our posture in a culture that stuff that we uh, have uh, look, or people that we've looked down upon or issues that really uh, take us the wrong way or people who find themselves in a particular lifestyle, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, whatever these issues are that are at the forefront of, of, our, of our hearts and our minds and our thinking and our, and our policies and our culture and our communities, how should we deal with it as the church? And I say we deal with stuff and people like Jesus did. How about the woman caught in adultery? This woman was caught in the very act of adultery. I mean, when I read that in scripture, it ain't like it was over and, you know, she hadn't already put her clothes on and ready to go about find somebody else. She caught in the act. And they bring her to Jesus. And Jesus 
uh, is asked the question, hey, the law says that she's supposed to be stoned. That's true. We're not going to dispute scripture. Truth is not in question here. Okay. Jesus didn't say, yeah, but, you know, I'm changing all that. No, he said, no. Okay, they're right. But here's the reality. Those of you who without sin cast the first stone. All of them dropped their rocks. And the only one who was left in front of her who had the, the right to stone her chose not to. And that was Jesus. Where are your accusers, woman? I don't have any. Neither do I condemn you. Go in peace, but sin no more. See, modern day Christians, we, 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 we ain't like that. We ready to accuse people. We ready to put people in hell. We ready to just throw people to the side. Not Jesus. Now, this woman caught in adultery. Let me give you some modern day issues that could have easily been a part of that scene. Okay. Modern day version. Young people. This is the tattoo generation. They want earrings everywhere. You know, it ain't just a little one little earring in it. They want earrings everywhere. They want to put holes all in it. They want their ear hanging all the way down with a big old hole in it. Right? They want tattoos everywhere. But see, those of us who are old school Christians, we'll look at that and we're ready to put them in hell. We're ready to talk about them. How about prostitutes and the homeless and people with criminal backgrounds? We don't want nothing to do with those people. They make me uncomfortable. God forbid if you had a son, daughter, brother, sister, co-worker, somebody in the school, somebody in the church that's struggling as a lesbian, as gay, bisexual, transgender, queer. Oh, no, that's that's like the big number one sin for the church. We, We won't deal with them kind of people. How would Jesus deal with people who struggle? Let me tell you something. We were all born in sin and shaped in iniquity. We all got a little junk in our trunk. Oh, y'all ain't saying nothing to me now. Hey, we all got a little stuff from back in the day that there's some stuff that people still don't know about you and you don't want them to know about you. It's going to stay buried. We've all have made choices and decisions that makes the reality of being a sinner, a reality. Now, I may not struggle with homosexuality, but I struggle with something. And you struggle with something. But we tend to want to categorize sin. And as long as you stay in this group of sins, we're okay. As soon as you rise to these group of sins, we don't want nothing to do with you. But the church has a responsibility to represent Jesus to a hurt, lost, and a dying world. We have a responsibility. And yes, the scriptures are clear. I'm I'm not here to dispute scripture. If anything, I'm a defender of the faith. I'm an apologist. I love defending truth and defending the faith. First Corinthians 6, 9 through 11, list all these various sins. Nine of them. Guess what? Homosexuality is number four. Guess what the first three are? Sexually immoral. Notice what Paul said. Do you not know the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral. Wow. That's people who have sex who ain't married. That's people who are bound and bound on pornography. Practice it. Live in it. It's idolaters. What is idolaters? Putting anything or anybody before Jesus. It could be your career. It could be your money. It could be your children. It could be your spouse. It could be whatever. Your car, your house, your pool, whatever. Soccer. Anything. Put it before it's more important than God. Idolaters, adulterers, people who are married, but they ain't satisfied with their husband and wife. They got to go out there and just do the nasty with anybody. Adulterers. Then he said men who practice homosexuality. Then he says thieves. 
people who take stuff that don't belong to them. That's from candy in the store, from skimming stuff off the top at your business. Or on your taxes. Nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And the 11th verse I love, Paul said, such were some of you. Such were some of you. That means that impugns all of us. We're all in this category of just being messed up, y'all. All of us are a little crazy. See, I know you've been saved for a few years, 20, 30, 10. You love the Lord. You're on your way to heaven anyhow. But see, you ain't always been saved. I done lost all my amens right there. <laughs> you ain't always loved the Lord. You ain't always found yourself in the church house. Oh, yeah, you got a story, and it's a story that maybe most of us, many of us don't know about. Thank God he has redeemed it. Thank God for the cross of Christ. Thank God for salvation. Thank God for the blood of Jesus. Paul said, such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. So, in other words, even if people say, hey, man, I'm this way, I was born this way, I'm not going to dispute that. Our first verse messed us all up. That's why Jesus said you must be born again. Because when you get born again, you get a new life. Don't mean the struggle is over. It just means you got some help now. Young man, 18 years old, 30 years ago, me. As soon as I turned 18, thought I was grown. I decided to go to a triple X porno flick on Orange Blossom Trail because I was grown. Grew up in the church, loved the Lord, had committed my life to Christ at the age of 11. And I, I, I couldn't even stay in the movie to watch the whole, the rest of the movie. I had to walk out with my head down and just, Lord, what am I doing here? Ask for forgiveness immediately. Been, and and ask forgiveness 10,000 times, 10,000 times. And from that moment, it planted a seed of pornography in my mind. I can say today at the age of 48, I am delivered. I'm set free. You can check my iPad out, my phone, my desktop, my laptop, all them, all my stuff saved. All of my electronics is filled with the Holy Ghost. I'm going to tell you that right now. You can check it out. I'm delivered. But guess what? I don't have HBO in my house. I don't have Showtime in my house because I don't want to fight with what I had to fight with long time ago. That was my issue. And pornography has destroyed marriages and have destroyed relationships because now wives and ladies have had to compete with an image. But I don't want to talk about that. We have to talk about this homosexual agenda in America. It's just the devil. Let me tell you something. It's on the list of nine stuff in 1 Corinthians 6. And we cannot demonize one group while we let the other group go free. We all have issues and we need to deal with sin as an issue, but not take one group of people and demonize them so that they don't even want to engage with the church no more. So let's learn from Jesus how to engage the culture. Let's learn from Jesus. In John 4, Jesus goes to talk with a woman from Samaria. I love this story. In the fourth chapter, third through the 44th, first verse, we're not going to read all that. Um, but I'm just going to make reference to it. The Bible said he had to go through Samaria. I got to go through Samaria. So here's the point there. Be willing to engage people of different cultures and beliefs. Everybody didn't grow up like you. Look around. Everybody don't look like you. Everybody don't know your story, know your struggle. We talk about people and give labels and names on people. And you don't even know. We don't even know one another. Jesus was willing to go to Samaria. Really? Jew? A Jew in Samaria? For real? 
Then he spoke with the Samaritan woman. You have to be willing to engage with people you would not ordinarily speak to. Look at verse 9 in, in John 4. She says, I'm a woman and a Samaritan. You talking to me? First of all, I'm a woman. That, that's, that's just, that, this just don't happen. You, you religious people, especially you men, you talking to me, a woman and a Samaritan? And Jesus is like, yeah, I'm talking to you. I value you. When she said that, it's basically what she was saying, because I'm low on your list of important people. That's like somebody talking to you or me, and you say, you're talking to me, but I'm black. Or I'm white. Or I'm Hispanic. Or I'm Haitian. I'm from the islands. Or, man, I'm homeless. I didn't think you people talk to homeless people. I'm from the islands. Or, wow, I'm this, I'm that. You talking to me? I'm lesbian, I'm bisexual, I'm gay, I'm transgender. And you talking to me? I'm a prostitute. You, you, I didn't think you, you, you talked to people like me. Because that's what people in the world think about people like us who are straight and got it together. We done ain't made it to the cross. We ain't got time to talk with people who ain't like us. And it's sad. Because now you got folks who won't run to the cross because of those who represent it. I think it was Gandhi who said, I would have been a Christian if it had not been for Christians. You think about that. Wow. You talking to me and Samaritan. You don't, y'all don't deal with us post-Samaritans. But guess what? It was 12 o'clock noon. The sixth hour of the day. Why is that important? Because the well back in the day, that was their, their version of Facebook, social media. The women would go to the well, socialize, and gossip, and talk. And, and so the women would show up either early morning to get the water for the family or late in the evening before as the sun uh, went down because it was cooler there. But this woman wanted to go at noon. Why is she there at noon? Because she knows she's not right. She has issues. She's, she, you know what? Elizabeth Taylor didn't have nothing on that woman. Y'all know what Elizabeth Taylor known for? What's she known for? Come on, talk to me, somebody. Huh? Lots of husbands. How many, how many times? Do we know? Nine? Oh, my gosh. So this woman had five husbands, five of them. Five husbands, five divorces, perhaps. But the man she's living with, the sixth man, is not even her husband. So she's living with this man. She's had five husbands. This is not the kind of person you want to be seen with. Not a straight, wonderful uh composed people who got it together. I don't want to be seen with a woman like that. But Jesus said, I'm going to Samaria because Jesus knew who he was going to find there. It's amazing. The people that we don't want to hang out with, Jesus run right to. And yet, we can't hear and sing these wonderful songs that we love Jesus. Yes, Jesus loved me. The Bible tells me so. And what an amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Yet, we sang those songs, but we don't want to extend grace to the people that really need it. The sons and daughters, the, the friends, the brothers, the sisters, the people who are struggling with stuff. They're afraid. There are people, there's young people committing, trying or attempting to commit suicide because they don't want to say what's in their heart. They don't want to say how they're feeling. They want to say who they think they are because they're struggling with something. And they know their moms and their dads won't accept it. They know they won't be accepted in the church. And it's so sad. One young man just heard about recently who had these have these homosexual proclivities his dad beat him so much because he had to beat that homosexual demon out of him sad stuff going on and it's done in the name of Christianity in a lot of ways in a lot of places but Jesus he stops 
at a well. And guess who initiated the conversation? Jesus did. He already knew what kind of woman she was. Now, Jesus like, you know what? I'm Jesus. I'm the Messiah. You know, I'm so holy. I'm God in the flesh. You know, that whole three in one, I'm the second one. And I don't just be hanging out with all these crazy people. No, Jesus didn't say that. He's with this woman that got all this sin and messed up stuff and say, hey, could you give me a drink? You want a drink from me? Really? And then Jesus said, if you knew the gift of God and who it was that was speaking to you, you would ask him for that living water. Wow. This woman who was embarrassed to be with the other women, this woman who had been ostracized, Jesus initiates the conversation. And so here's the point. Engage people by not talking about their sin, but engage people by just talking about Jesus. Be interested in them. Notice what Jesus asked them. Hey, go call your husband. You know one way to engage people? Ask them about their personal life. Where are you from? Where, tell me about your family. Are you married? Do you have any children? Let me tell you something. When you really show concern for people, people will start telling you stuff. And they'll start telling you stuff you may not want to hear. But when they tell you those things, it's an opportunity for you to be sought in light. If Jesus has done for you what you say he has done for you, you and I are obligated to tell somebody else. We are obligated to be salt and light in the midst of this crooked and perverse generation. We're the salt of the earth. We're the light of the world. The Bible says as long as Jesus was in the world, he was the light of the world. But then Jesus said, you are the light. If you are the light, then why do we need light? What's the whole purpose for light? Somebody help. Talk to me. See if y'all pass the test. Tell me why we need light. So we can see, so we can have, so we can shine in the darkness. But we all want to shine up here in the church where there ain't nothing but light at. Mm-hmm. What about if all the lights in here in this locker room was to go into the field and shine in all the dark places that God exposes us to? And guess what? Whether you believe it or not, some of the dark places is right in your home. In the hearts of your children but they're afraid to talk to you because we are judgmental and ready to send people to hell. We don't do that in our family. That is not. And so I ain't saying nothing because I ain't trying to hear what you got to tell me. Hmm. Go call your husband. Tell me about your family. And she said, I don't have a husband. Truth. You have said right, woman. You've had five husbands, and the one that you're with is not even yours. Jesus simply affirmed her. Notice that Jesus did not condemn or call her a sinner. He didn't say, how dare you be married so many times? How dare you live with this man who is not your husband? How dare you do that? Jesus didn't do that. He just affirmed her truthfulness. Can I tell you something? True deliverance comes when you are truthful about your struggle. I want you to remember something. The power of sin is the secrecy of sin. Anything that is a secret in your life has a stronghold over your life. If you can't talk to your wife about it, if you can't talk to a brother or sister about it, if you just got to keep it to yourself, you will always be bound by that thing. Anything that you can't talk about or discuss or disclose has a stronghold over your life. And the Bible gives us a prescription for it in James 5. In James 5, he says, confess your faults one to another. Then pray one for another that you might be healed. You can't be healed if you don't get prayer. And you can't get the right prayer unless you're willing to tell somebody what you're struggling with. So keep it to yourself if you want to. You'll always be bound by it. I'm so grateful. You know what? I love Jeff better than y'all. 
I love that man. He's my brother. That's my friend. That's my confidant. That's my pastor. He will say the same thing about me if you talk to him. Love Jeff Jakes. We, we have confided in one another. I, I have a confidant in him. If I'm struggling with something, I already know who to call. I already know who to text. And I know he's going to be there for me. I'm grateful for that kind of friendship. All of us need a friend. You know what somebody reminded me the other day? David committed adultery and had all his issues once Jonathan had died. His friend had already died. But while he had a friend and accountability brother, he didn't have the kind of issues that he had. Sometimes you just need somebody in your life that's going to hold you accountable to being who you supposed to be. And God has called each one of us to greatness and called each one of us to represent him. Who do you have in your life that's going to help you get there? Hmm. But once she exposed herself, when she said, man, I got five, had five husbands. The one I'm living in, living with ain't even mine. That's when her deliverance came. And when she got her deliverance, she was no longer ashamed of the people. She ran to the city. Guess what she said? Come see a man. Basically, can I give you the hood version of that? I know about men. I done had five husbands. Ain't none of them no good. No, you know, she didn't have no issues. It was all the men's problem, right? Five husbands. And the one she was with wasn't even hers. But when Jesus engaged her, she said, come see a man. Is he not the Christ? He told me all about myself. I know that he is somebody that we can listen to and trust. He is the man. The people in the city came running to see Jesus. And when they heard Jesus speak for himself, they began to put their faith in him. They believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. An entire city was engaged and affected by this one woman. An entire city comes to hear about Jesus because this one woman heard the good news for herself. Jesus was not afraid to speak to someone that no one else would talk to, or at least they would talk about her, but he engaged her, and then she engaged the city. And then they said to the woman, woman, We believe in him, not because of your word, but we have heard him for ourselves. Wow. Church, let's not be afraid to engage our culture. Be willing to go and initiate conversation with people who live differently. Let me tell you something. I'm not speaking this message because I've mastered this. I'm, I'm struggling with this too. I'm struggling with some because I know people. I got people close to me in my life that are struggling with various issues. And I cannot say that I have dealt with it properly at all times because I'm always this scripture person. I can have Phariseeistic attitudinalism. You can be a Pharisee and don't even know you're a Pharisee because Pharisees point, Pharisees blame, Pharisees think they're better than everybody else. Pharisees think they're holier than thou. Pharisees uh, judge. Pharisees ready to put people in hell. I'm reminded of the story in Luke 7, 36 through 50. The woman, it is the very first parable that Jesus gives in the Bible. And it is the parable of the two debtors. And you know what? In this parable, Jesus gives the story. First of all, he goes into Simon the Pharisee's house. And in that day, you know, there was dirt roads and and it 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 would be customary to have a bowl of water nearby the door so that you can refresh your feet and get the dirt off. But you know what? Simon didn't offer Jesus none of that. He's a Pharisee. He's, he's, you know, he's a leader. He's, we, you know, that's beyond me to do stuff like that. You know. But then there was this woman. The Bible says she was a known sinner. What does that mean? She could have either been a prostitute. Maybe she was a thief. Hey, she could have been a lesbian. We don't know what she was. The Bible says she was a known sinner. And she comes 
And she stoops down behind Jesus' feet and cries. And with her tears, her tears touch his feet. She takes her precious hair, her glory. Ladies, would you like to take your hair and wash your brother's feet for him? Come on now. Brother's feet might be dirty. Come on, can I get somebody to, to can I get a, a participant here? How many of you ladies willing to stoop down and wash your brother's feet with your hair? Oh, no. Oh, that, that's, that's sacrilege. That's the, you can't do that. This woman gave up her glory, gave up what's important to her to stoop down and wash Jesus' feet and watch, watch Phariseeistic attitudinalism at work. Here is the Pharisee, Simon. If Jesus was really who he said he was, if he really was a prophet, he would really know what kind of woman this is that's touching him. And so Jesus said, Simon, let me tell you a story. There was a creditor that had two debtors. Now, scripture uses 500 pence or denarii and 50. I'm going to use a, a denarii was worth one day's wage. 50 denarii was like two months worth of wages. 500 denarii was like two years worth of wages. So I'm going to use today's numbers. 50,000 and 5,000. There were two people in debt. A 50, two, uh, one man was in, uh, had $50,000 worth of debt. Another man had $5,000 worth of debt. None of them could pay their debt back. And Jesus gave this parable, and he said, the creditor said that he would, what, forgive both of them. And he asked Simon a question. Which one of them you think would be more appreciative of being forgiven of their debt? And Simon said, hey, the man who owed you more. Or owed him more, the credit him more. You have answered correctly, Simon. Good answer. And then Jesus brought it back to his house. Simon, ever since I came to your house, man, you ain't did nothing for me. You didn't offer me a drink of water. You didn't refresh my feet. But here this woman that you're looking down on have not ceased to, to minister to me, wiping my feet with her hair and with her tears. And then Jesus said this, her sins, watch what Jesus didn't do, because this is what we Christians do today. You know, that's just a sin. You're living in sin. You're a sinner. You, you just shouldn't be doing that. Blah, 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 blah. Jesus didn't say, woman, now you know you live in nasty. You shouldn't be doing all that. You know what? I'm Jesus now. I'm so holy. And, you know, I come to down the cross with people like you. And you don't need to be doing this until you get saved. And all that, that. Jesus didn't do all that. This woman broken. Jesus tells Simon, you did nothing for me. And this woman has been ministering to me since I've been here. Woman, your sins, which are many, have been forgiven you. What in the world he think he is forgiven sins? That's Phariseeistic attitudinalism. And we're like that. Yeah, we, we, we're like that today. What would happen if a bunch of prostitutes wanted to come worship over here, do we put them up there in the top balcony away from everybody? What if they wanted to bring a bus of homeless people to worship? What would we do? Set, set up a screen in another room, put them over there so we won't have to deal with them? What, what, what happens if if the LGBT community wanted to come and just have a conversation with the church here, what would we do? The Jesus I know would engage them. Now, he don't compromise truth because he did tell the woman in adultery, hey, go in peace, but he didn't say, go in peace. I love you and I'm just a God of love and you just do your, no, he said go in peace, but sin no more. You need to stop your adultering ways. You need to stop living in sin. Basically what he was saying to her. Go in peace. I'm not going to condemn you, but don't live like this because you can do better than this. Do what's right. And it's time that we engage our culture. It's time that we stop talking about the Supreme Court or this judge because they let this go or they're letting this fly or this state says they're going to let these, this group of people get married that couldn't get married before. This, all this stuff that's happening, we can talk about it, but what are we doing as Christians? 
It's time for us to engage people right where they are. Let's have a conversation. Yes, I know people who are living in sin is going to hell. I know that. But I'm not going to tell them they're going to hell and how bad they are. Because when you look at how Jesus and the apostles dealt with people who were in sin, they didn't point out the sin. They just pointed them to the cross and they pointed them to Jesus. My job is to plant and water. Give them Jesus. Give them Jesus. Love them. Pray, pray for them and let the spirit of God convict them. We want to convict people, too. We want to see the results. Why are we we're so results driven? I want to see them change. I want to see them stop living with that man. I want to see them stop living with that woman. I want to see them stop being lesbian gay. I'm, I'm going to see them. Take, I want that man to dress like a man and not like a woman. I got to see it. Why do you have to see it? Just love them. Preach the gospel. Have the ministry of presence. I'm about done. I'm going to give you another story. You see, this is Jesus. You see, I, I, that's why I love Jesus. Zacchaeus. I know nobody don't like you because you're an IRS agent. <laughs> you're a tax man. Nobody like you. But guess what? Come down out the tree, Zacchaeus. I'm coming to your house. You're coming to my house? Nobody comes to my house. Everybody hates me. No, I'm coming to your house. When Jesus goes to Zacchaeus' house, notice what Jesus didn't say. Okay, Zacchaeus, I'm the son of God. I'm the second person of the triunity God, the triune God. I'm God in the flesh. I'm the word made flesh. I'm all that. And you're a sinner. And you need to stop your sinful ways. He didn't do that because that's what we do. You know what Jesus did? He just hung out with him. I call it the ministry of presence. Sometimes you ain't got to say nothing. Just be present with people. And all of a sudden, Zacchaeus is like, Jesus comes hang out with me. He didn't say nothing about how bad I am. He didn't say nothing about my sins. He just hung out with me. You know what, Jesus? I'm giving all the money back I stole. I'm going to change. He came to that conclusion because Jesus was willing to engage with him. And as I, this, which closing is this? Is this my second one or third one? I'm about to close. As you get ready to go in the field, this is the locker room, y'all. I've been drawing up plays for you. That's all. We've been, the worship team's here pepping us up. That's the playing field out there. And can I tell you something? I, with all the people in this room, I bet there's at least one family in here. One family in here, maybe more, that's dealing with some issues they don't want to talk about. They don't want to. They don't want to. They don't want to talk about the fact that their daughter may be having these 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 feelings that she shouldn't have, or their son is having these feelings that he shouldn't have. We don't talk about that. And then because we don't talk about it, I ain't willing to engage them. But the devil is a lie. We have to engage those within our family. We have to engage the people that are in our, at our, our co-workers, people that are on the street. We got to engage people in the church. There are folks, I imagine, even in this church, afraid to say certain things because we are Orangewood Church PCA. We ain't the USA one. Them people, they crazy. We PCA. We know God. We know the word. We are, you know, we love Jesus over here at Orangewood. Because we have Phariseeistic attitudinalism, I don't feel like talking to you because I already know you're going to put me in hell. But I love my church and I love Jesus. But I'm struggling and I don't know who to talk to. Ravi Zacharias mentioned in a message that um, an author by the name of Henry Nouwen struggled with homosexual proclivities, but Mr. Nouwen said, the reason why I will not act on those feelings is because of Christ. But he had at least acknowledged he had the struggle. Stop hiding behind your little Christian label and realize you have struggles you might not struggle like them. I don't, str I don't struggle with prostitution. I don't struggle with stealing. I ain't stole candy out of the store since I was a child. 
Y'all know them little Brock's candies, you know? <laughs> I, haven't, I, don't, I don't have an issue with stealing. I've been married to my wife almost 27 years. I haven't, I've never cheated on her. I don't struggle with that, but I struggle with something. And it makes me just as much of a sinner as anybody else. We think we are $5,000 sinners and the prostitutes are $50,000 sinners. Until you realize you are a $50,000 sinner, just like the LGBT, just like the, the, the thief, the prostitute, the liar, the adulterer, the fornicator. We are all $50,000 sinners that need Jesus to die for us. So stop looking your nose down on people and pointing and being accusatory. Let's show people the love of Jesus. Let's engage our family members, our friends, our co-workers. Give them Jesus. I can't change them. I ain't trying to change you. I just want to give you Jesus. You catch him and the Lord cleans them. He cleans them. Let us pray. Father, thank you for your word. I pray that this word God has challenged and corrected and encouraged and built us up in the faith. Pray that we've been edified. I pray, God, that you have been glorified with the preaching of the gospel. If I need correction in any area of this message, Lord, may you reveal that to me. But if I have accurately handled your word correctly, help us to hide this word in our heart that we might not sin against you. And may we be faithful as wheat growing together in a world with weeds to be a light, to be salt, and to affect them for the kingdom. Help us to be engaging so that you might engage their hearts because we have engaged them with ours. In Jesus' name, amen.